him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is, is that your own idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you about me? I am a Jew, Pilate replied. I am a Jew, Pilate replied. You, your own people and a chief priest handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight would have fight, fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king, Dan said Pilate. Jesus answered, you said that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went, on, uh, he went out again to the Jews, gathered there, and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. Let's read our scripture declaration. Lord, we honor your word to us. May your truth become our heart's pursuit in our lives practice. Lord Father, we just want to thank you, Lord, for being almighty, to be, for being a king who loves us cares for us who sacrificed for us we thank you lord for your grace and for your mercy and we thank you lord father for allowing us to be here today to hear your word we ask you today lord to speak to eric lord in a way where your voice is resonating into our hearts help us hear you lord father and help us be transformed lord so that we start to go towards your will versus our own we love you, God, and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, worship team. What an awesome service, worshiping our God in music, as we always do. Well, it's awesome to see all of you guys here. It's an honor and a privilege to be able to stand here and share God's word with you. I just hope that I do well. Thank you for all the prayers. Appreciate it. I need it. <laughs> um, but, uh, I th you know, we've got a, got a cool message. Randy definitely helped me out a lot in preparation, and so I definitely appreciate that. So thank you, Randy, for all of that. We are beginning a brand new teaching series in preparation for Easter. It's going to be cool. It's called The King Claims His Crown, The Pathway the Christ path to the cross. And you saw that email this morning. We're going to be looking at some of the major events that occurred the days before, really the hours before Jesus' death, leading up to his death and resurrection. All right, the, the most, the pivotal moment in our Christian faith. And so what, what things occurred as, as we're approaching that time. So this sermon will focus on three words, perhaps three of the most important words in our faith, in, our, in, our, in the Bible, the words uttered by Pilate. What is truth? What is truth? 
So back in uh, John 18, this slide number two. Am I a Jew? Pilate re- uh, replied. So they're having this argument. What do you, what Pilate's asking Jesus, what do you want me to do? You're, you've got this religious conflict with your own religious leaders. I'm not even a Jew. I'm not a Jewish person. And so they're having this, this philosophical discussion here in the palace. It's very interesting. Jesus, the creator of everything, the creator God, he was there at creation And he knows what he's about to do for all of mankind, for the entire world. And little old Pilate, who has a governor position, is having a philosophical discussion with Jesus. And Jesus tells him, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And Pilate says, what is truth? What is truth? So do you think he says, what is truth? And then to continue the conversation... Because what does he do right after he asks the question? With this, he went out again to the Jews and gathered there and said, I find no basis for charge against this man. He wasn't asking for an answer. We know it was a rhetorical question. We know it was a rhetorical question. So let's look at a a picture of Pilate. I did a bunch of research, and there's this awesome sculpture out of marble. This is in Rome. It was carved in 1854. This is a, just a glimpse of what it might have looked at, looked like. But, you know, in our world today, we like to have a picture. You can't tell a story without a picture. We don't like books without pictures. All right, so, so there's Pilate and Jesus having a discussion. This is called Ecce Homo. Ecce Homo in Latin by Francesco Giacometti. Giacometti. I don't know how to say that. That's Latin. All right, we won't worry about that. But anyway, I wanted to show you a picture of what the scene might look like. And so let's talk a little bit about Pilate's background. Where is Pilate coming from when he utters these so meaningful words? Right here, your very first thing to learn here is Pontius Pilate was the fifth governor of the Roman province of Judea. So he was put in place by the emperor to rule over the Jewish people. He served alongside the appointed Jewish high priest Caiaphas. So you've got a religious leader and a political leader, both ruling over the same territory of Judea. Likely there are a lot of conflicts, right? But they do a lot of stuff to try to keep the peace. Where is he coming from? He was a Roman. He was a pagan and therefore a polytheist. He was a polytheist. He believed in lots of gods. And right in front of him, he's got this man claiming to be God, right? Claiming to be a king. So Pilate had lots of gods, lots of gods. If you've ever looked, Hercules, Mercury, Mars, Neptune, Pluto, Saturn, where we name all of our planets, these are all Roman gods. They had so many gods, over 220 gods that I could count out there on Wikipedia. (laughs) They had a God of war, a God of fame and rumor, a God of peace, a God of fertility. They even had a God over their drainage system in Rome. They would pray for the drainage system to work to a certain God. They had Thor, the God of thunder. He was a... Pilate worshipped this guy, right? Well, do we worship him too? Well, maybe Chris Hemsworth, maybe not Thor, right? Hollywood. All right. And then they had Bacchus, the God of truth. 
Bacchus was the god of truth. And he had, he had other names and stuff, and he was the god of other things as well. But the bottom line is Pilate had a lot of different beliefs, a lot of different gods, a lot of different truths to try to follow and believe. So when he talks to Jesus, he says, in fact, the re- Jesus says, in fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. He's going, wait a minute. I was raised with all these other gods. This is what I worship. There's even a God of truth. He's frustrated. He's been searching for truth his whole life, perhaps. All right. What is truth? And then in the NIV, it says he retorted. What is truth? Retorted Pilate. What does retort mean? To say something in answer to a remark or accusation, typically in a sharp, angry, or wittingly incisive manner. He was frustrated. We know this. He was searching for the truth. So the definition of truth. What is truth? Let's talk about it. The quality of the state of being true. Okay. They can't use the root word in the definition. I was taught that in elementary school. So, uh, that which is true in accordance with fact or reality. It's the representation of reality. That is the definition of the truth. Okay? And then to further that, what is a word that I'm going to talk a lot about today? Absolute truth. Absolute truth is something that does not change ever not only does it meet reality but it doesn't change because a fact can change a fact might be a fact today but tomorrow it might not be right this person is alive well he might die so tomorrow the fact that he is alive is not true anymore right so facts and absolute truth are different so here's an analogy for absolute truth it's Reality. What is real? Have you ever been sitting in a stoplight? Your foot's on the brake, you're listening to music, worship music, right? Maybe talking to your beautiful wife like I do sometimes. And the car behind her starts to move. What do you think in your mind? We're moving. You slam on the brake harder. You clutch the steering wheel. But in fact, it was them moving. Has that ever happened to you? Happens to me all the time. You're like, wait a minute. You get confused. The reality is you're sitting still. It's them that's moving, making you think that you're not moving. So we got to be very careful about what's true and what's real, not just when we're driving, but in our real life and the things that we hear on TV, the things that our leaders tell us. So, in fact, Pilate was searching for the truth, and guess what? We are still searching for things that are absolutely true, and they're hard to find. Especially, especially with regard to moral truth, absolute right from wrong. That's very hard to say, very hard to discuss. So there was a research study done by Barna Research, and they do a lot of Christian studies on Christian issues. And they found, they interviewed thousands of Christians and asked them, and they found that 64% of the adults that they interviewed said truth is relative. Truth is relative depending on your circumstances. It's worse for the teenagers. Only 22% said, uh, no, 64% said truth is relative. On the teenagers, 83% 
said truth is relative. So the younger you are, the more likely you are to think that your truth depends on your circumstances, on your situation. Only 6% of teenagers said truth is absolute or that truth can even be absolute. This study was done in 2002. How much worse do you think it is now? Right? Very difficult thing to encounter. George Barna wrote an editorial or an article about this study. He said, without some firm and compelling basis for suggesting that such acts are inappropriate, people are left with philosophies such as, it feels, if it feels good, do it. We've heard that before. Everyone else is doing it. As long as it doesn't hurt anyone else, it's permissible. In fact, the alarmingly fast decline of moral foundations among our young people was culminated in a one-word worldview. Whatever. Whatever. Whatever you want to do, whatever you want to do for yourself is fine. Just don't affect me. Right? It's dangerous. Well, we don't live in a world of truth from... From the outside in, we don't believe in truth. Most people don't believe that there is absolute truth. What about from our leaders, the leaders of our country, the government? There's an article. Randy actually sent this to me while we were preparing. It's called, Is Truth an Outdated Concept? You guys hear that all the time. The Bible's outdated. Is truth an outdated concept? Are we living in a post-truth world? By Mark, Mark, Michael Shermer in Scientific American. Just a couple of years ago. This article spotlights a big problem. This is not a Christian writer, okay? This is not a Christian magazine. Scientific American. In 2005, he says the word of the year was truthiness. Truthiness. That means the truth that we want to exist the truth we want to exist. Makes sense. In 2016, the Oxford Dictionary nominated the word post-truth as the word of the year. Post-truth. What does that mean? Describing circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion. Let me read that again. Descri it describes circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than the appeals to emotion and or personal belief. Your emotion is much stronger than the truth. In 2017, the word fake news increased in usage 365%, earning the top spot in the Word of the Year shortlist in Collins English Dictionary, who defined it as false, often sensational, information disseminated under the guise of news reporting. We all know what fake news is, right? One particular politician uh, uses it much more than others. We know it's real. The government and the media use all of these things. Post-truth, fake news, we know that. The article says, are we living in a post-truth world of truthiness, fake news, and alternative facts? Has all the progress we've made since the scientific revolution in understanding the world and ourselves been obliterated by a fossil fusillade of social media postings and tweets? No, it says. No. Mendacity, truth-shading, conspiracy theories, extraordinary popular delusions, and the madness of crowds are as old as our species. 
but so is the conviction that some ideas are right and some ideas are wrong. There's nothing new under the sun. We've always had conspiracy theories. We've always had non-truth out there, lies that we are disguised as truth, but also we've always had a sense of right from wrong. Human beings have always been searching for what is right and wrong. So don't miss this. In a post-truth world, in a truth-is-relative world, politicians, the media, and the influencers are more interested in how information makes you feel than whether the information is true or not. They don't care if the news story is true or not. All they care is how is this going to make my readers feel? Is it going to get them excited? Is it going to get them to retweet? It's all they want. They want to make you feel a certain way. And that's dangerous. Very, very dangerous. Now, last week, Randy said he gave an awesome teaching sermon on family, how to make families stronger, how to pull your kids into be better. And he said, make sure you do this with feeling because the most important thing is that your loved ones feel like you love them. All right, but that's not what we need from the media and from the government. I want the newscasters to tell me the truth, not worried about my feelings or if I'm offended. I want my government to do what's right for the right reasons, not worry about how I'm going to vote or what I'm going to do next or who I'm going to write to or who, if I'm going to influence my neighbors to vote a certain way. Just do the right thing for the right reasons for the long term, right? Amen? That's right. That's what we want. They don't care. All they care about is how we feel and what we're going to do with it. If we're going to retweet it. Now, if you're yelling at your TV right now at home or you're thinking in your your, inside your heart, man, that's what the Democrats do or that's what the Republicans do or that's what the Green Party does. (laughs) They all do it. They all do it. Nobody is immune to this, to fake news. Nobody's immune. In fact, all the media is biased. Did you guys know that? Who's center, who's left, who's right? We've got a graphic here with everybody on it. Slide 12. Look, they're all up there. Everybody is on the spectrum. Left, right, center. I would would argue that the center should be empty. And everybody should be either on the left or the right. Nobody is truly unopinionated. Everybody comes from a perspective. Every newscaster comes from a worldview. Every newscaster was raised a certain way, was taught certain things. Every writer, every director that you see, every speaker, every talking head comes from a perspective. And the sooner we learn that, and we, the sooner we learn that when we watch them say something, we have to wonder, I wonder if that's true. The sooner we learn that, the more peaceful we will be. Sounds counterintuitive, but it is. Because you will not get so upset about what they say because you don't know if it's true or not. You have to go research yourself. In fact, it's such a problem with the news, it created an entire industry of fact-checkers. There's all kinds of websites out there for fact-checking. In fact, 
whenever writers write articles, they include fact-checking in their article. They include fact-checking as clickbait. So these fact-checkers analyze everything said by politicians and they rate their truthiness because now, apparently, there's a spectrum of how true something is because it's all relative, right? It can be true, mostly true, half true, mostly false, false, or pants on fire, according to PolitiFact, right? If you see this, it's a lie, according to them, right? Because, again, they're all bias. PolitiFact's editor even said, journalists regularly tell me that their media organization started highlighting our fact-checking and their reporting because so many people click on fact-checking stories after the, a debate or a high-profile event. So the journalists who are writing the things that politicians say also include fact-checking in their article. Like, if you don't believe me, now I have to prove it because so many journalists don't tell the truth. Even Abraham Lincoln had something to say about this. The trouble with quotes on the internet is knowing whether or not they're genuine. <laughs> you believe that? It's out there. All kinds of stuff is out there. All right, now what about, uh, you know, we know the media, we know government. They're, they don't have our best interests at heart most of the time. Some of them do. I'm not being absolute here. But what about within our own hearts, within our own minds? So there's a really cool video we found on the internet about, that will show us a little bit about our own internal nature when it comes to facts and truthiness. Let's check this out. Luke, I am your father, is wrong. We all know it's wrong. The correct line is, and it's always been, no, I am your father. There's a phenomenon out there called the Mandela Effect, which you've probably heard of. The basic gist of the Mandela Effect is that a large number of people all share a false memory. It's called the Mandela Effect because a lot of people misremembered Nelson Mandela dying in prison in 1980, but he didn't die until 2013. Examples! Tunes in Looney Tunes wasn't spelled like cartoons. It was spelled like a song. Berenstein Bears was spelled with an A and not an E. The Monopoly Man never had a monocle. Hello, Clarice was never said in Silence of the Lambs. Sinbad never played a genie. Play It Again Sam was never said in Casablanca. Memory is a funny thing. The power of suggestion is mighty. Bias, imagination, sources of data, hearing something incorrect and having that stick in your brain, and even peer pressure can all skew a memory or plant a false memory. A modern example is the quote, I can see Russia from my house. That quote gets attributed to Sarah Palin often, but she never said it. Tina Fey said, I can see Russia from my house on Saturday Night Live while portraying Sarah Palin in a sketch. Sometimes explanations are as simple as that. There are a lot of these misattributed examples floating around out there. Some people think the Mandela effect is some glitch in the matrix or evidence of an alternate reality that's seeping into our own reality or even time travelers, but our brain's fallibility and ease of influence, I think, does a much better job of explaining the phenomenon. Even James Earl Jones said, Luke, 
I am your father on the Today Show when he was sharing a little joke. Do you remember this guy? In 2009, a website was created called This Man, in which it was claimed that thousands of people had dreams where they saw the same guy. And then all of a sudden, a whole bunch of people started saying, me too. I dreamt of that man too. Wow, who is this man? This is extraordinary. Why are we all dreaming about this guy? News outlets picked up on it, TV shows ran with it, it became a huge story. It went viral, and it turns out, this was a stunt, a hoax. None of the people the website claimed dreamt of the man actually dreamt of the man. The creator of the website, Andrea Nutella, an Italian marketer, admitted in 2010 that it was a part of a guerrilla marketing stunt. Never doubt the power of suggestion on the human brain. But I did dream of him. I did. In 2016, a psychology study conducted an online survey, and in the survey, 88% of people picked Alexander Hamilton as one of the presidents of the United States. He was never a president. Caitlin Amote, a UCLA PhD candidate in neuroscience, says, because of a shared contextual association, many different people formed the same false memory that Hamilton was a president. She goes on to talk about suggestibility. Suggestibility is the tendency to believe what others suggest to be true. This is why lawyers are prohibited from asking witnesses leading questions that suggest a specific answer. Confabulation is a memory error defined as the production of fabricated, distorted, or misinterpreted memories about oneself or the world without the conscious intention to deceive. Our brains are powerful machines, but they are faulty. And the more we learn about that big ooey-gooey organ inside of our skulls, the more we'll understand the fallibility and the more we'll be able to correct its shortcomings. We all love to think that our memories are solid, but they're not. We don't need to create alternate realities or matrices or interdimensional time travelers to explain Luke. I am your father. Eh, but I guess it's fun. Luke, I am your father is wrong. We all know it's wrong. The correct line. All right. So what does this video tell us? It, we can't even trust what's in our own mind as memories sometimes. The, the entire world can be convinced of something. We are so willing to join on the crowd of ideas that we want that we may believe something that's not true ourselves you guys hear all the time Luke I am your father that's not what he says and we can find countless other examples of stuff that you know to be true that are not true all right so all these memories we had from from childhood of lines in movies and they're not they're not true they were never said but because we've said them so long we believe they are true so this leads us to our big idea, the big idea of today. Truth isn't found in our world, it's found in our God. Absolute truth is not found in our world, it's found in our God, who has revealed himself through scripture. That is where truth is found. It's not gonna be found anywhere else in our society. It's, you're not going to stumble upon it. If you want to find truth, you have to go to the source of truth. And it's very important that we do. Back to scripture, John 18, 37. The reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. 
everyone on the side of truth listens to me. That's because he is truth. So that leads Pilate to that question 2,000 years ago. What is truth? Nothing new under the sun. We are still searching for truth today. Isn't it amazing how the more things change, the more things stay the same? And the more information we've got there, we've got the entire world of information in our pocket, at our fingertips, and we still can't trust what is true and what is not, what to base our life upon. So what? Why is this a big deal? Because we need to know the truth in order to live our life, to make these tough decisions in life, to answer the deep-rooted questions we have inside ourselves. Like, is there a God? Is he alive? How active is he in my life? We need to understand these things. People have been asking these questions since creation. And the answer is found in God. All right? The problem is the opposite of truth is a lie. And the devil is the father of lies. And he's out there trying to shade us from the truth, keep us from it, filled the world with lies, filled people with lies, just to keep us from seeing the truth. We are being blinded from absolute truth on which we can base everything in our lives. And we're forced to wander around this earth without knowing which direction is right, without knowing God. Let's read how bad it will become in the prophecy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. I'm thinking Hollywood. Lovers of money. I'm thinking Wall Street. Boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous. Online bullying is out of control. Without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. That sounds like a lot of Christians today. We have a form of godliness, but we deny the power of God. They are the kind who worm their ways into homes and gain control over gullible women. A lot of womanizers out there. Who are loaded down with sin and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. Now get this. Always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Always learning. We're always learning. We've got scientific advances you can't believe. People 10 years ago couldn't believe what we're doing now with science. But we still don't have a knowledge of the truth. This describes our world. So what do we do in a world absent of a knowledge of the truth? We make it up, right? We make it up. We make up our own truth. Your truth might be different than my truth. You hear that all the time. To speak my truth, here's my personal opinion. That's not truth. So it's called relativism. Relativism is abundant in the world today. It's the idea that there is no universal or absolute set of moral principles. Slide 22, there we go. 
the idea that the the idea that there are no universal truth there's no there's absolutely no moral principles that says things like there's no right from wrong you were created from evolution by accident so you really don't have a purpose you're just here to have fun there's no devil there's no eternal consequences do the right thing because it's the right thing right for goodness sake when you die your worm food that's it I've heard a professor say that you can't be held responsible for your actions because nothing's your fault it's your parents fault it's your product of your raising right you can't be expected to know right from wrong oh you must be tolerant of everyone by the way tolerant of all beliefs all activities it's just their truth unless they profess to have absolute truth like we do then we become offensive and they're offended by us right then they're intolerant you can justify any action you want you see people do that all the time they do the action because they feel that they want to do it and then later they go and try to justify it we do that all the time so this is the world we're living in if Einstein created the theory of relativity who created the the theory of relativism maybe Einstein's brother for me I don't for me I don't believe in the law of gravity at this moment so therefore I'm gonna float right doesn't work in fact relativism when people say there are no absolute truths they're contradicting themselves you can't say there's no absolute truth that can't be absolute if there's no absolute truth you're trying to say something that's an absolute absolute truth it's a contradictory statement it's not possible to even say that so if everything is relative where do people get their morality how do people say what's right from wrong there's a couple of different sources science and reason oh we are so proud of ourselves as humans so advanced in science if you want to believe something where's the evidence show me the evidence of God right where's proof that he exists well there's a big problem with science you can't prove things that we know to be true some things like emotion like the love that you have when you first hold your newborn baby science can't explain that feeling how about mankind's desire for God what we call a God-shaped hole science can't explain that it gets funnier nutrition remember when eggs were bad now eggs are good for you right eat all the eggs you want we used to count calories now we count carbs new science out there actually you still should admit it's calories but carbs are more more influential global cooling was in the 80s in the 90s it was global warming now it's global climate change and the new one for 2021 climate equity science always changes because scientists are humans too I once did a uh, experiment in college um, studying biology at the University of Texas and I took some Kendall helped me find a bunch of scorpions and I wanted to know it's the scorpion striking out of instinct or is it a defensive mechanism that he knows he's doing like is it just a twitch or is he actually in control of that thing when he strikes his tail so I took a bunch of scorpions I surgically removed the stingers from several of them with a nail clippers and put them all in different boxes and had a threat and I did my own study and I determined that the ones 
with the stingers removed, struck 5% less than the ones that still had their stingers. And so I presented all these, this finding in a paper, and I got an A. And the professor said, yeah, your evidence suggests the fact that they do know that it's, or that it's, uh, they do know that it's there because the ones with the stingers removed struck 5% less. And I remember thinking, 5%? Like, that's enough to prove my theory? It doesn't seem very, you know, uh, uh, doesn't seem like it proves very much if it's just that. And in addition, I'm sitting here doing the, the, the analysis and counting them, and sometimes it was hard to tell if that was a real strike or not. Like, did they just move or did they really strike? There's a lot of subjectivity that goes into it. And any scientist will tell you that the fact is, anytime you observe your subject in a scientific experiment, it automatically necessarily changes the outcome. You observing it changes the outcome. You being in the room, them seeing you, whatever it is, whatever animal it is, they know you're there. Observing it changes the outcome. So science, I'm not, you know, dismissing science altogether. It's great. I mean, you're watching today because of science. You know, you're in this room, it's comfortable, lots of great advances. I'm not doing that, but what I am saying is sometimes science is not infallible. All right, so there's a problem with using science to give you absolute truths. Other people use popular opinion. I'm going to do what's right because that's what my society says is right. In a different society, it might not be right. There's societies on earth where it's not right for a woman to show her face. All right? So popular opinion is not going to provide you absolute truth, but people do derive morality from popular opinion. And here's my favorite one, feelings. We could park here all day. If you're going to derive your decision-making ability of right from wrong from your feelings you're not going to have very much fun in life. People make all kinds of decisions on feelings. One time I felt like I looked good in cargo pants. Nope. One time I felt like I was a good dancer. Kendall spoke truth in my life on that one. Nope. You're limited to just swaying back and forth, Eric. Lots of decisions made on feelings. You know what? The LGBTQ plus movement is the first time in a generation that science is being trumped by feelings in legislation and policy. We've got boys competing in girl sports because they feel like a girl. Feelings are trumping science even. If you've ever made a financial decision based on your feelings and it didn't pan out, right? Has anybody done that? Confession time, yeah. You should make financial decisions based on truth, on actual risk, on buying insurance, buying things, all right? I, I love when people say, oh, I bought this car because it's got the best safety ratings. No, you didn't. You bought it because it looked good, right? Even if it was the best safety ratings, I would still take my 1998 GMC, uh, whatever that was, the small pickup um, that saved my life when I ran into a car and flipped over and I walked away with just a, a scratch. 
right? Don't tell me safety ratings today are so much better than they were there. They do get better in, you know, very slight increments. So we've made lots of poor decisions based on feelings. How's that working out for you? That's the big question. How's that working out for you? It doesn't always work out. If you find yourself saying, I feel like, and then you're about to say what you feel, just fill that in with, but my feelings are going to change. I feel like my feelings are going to change, right? Because that's the truth. All these things change. Science changes. We find new evidence for things all the time. It's all changes. Popular opinion will sway in just a generation. One thing is right. The children think it's totally wrong, right? And then obviously your feelings change. The antidote to moral relativism is to have a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview. To see our world the way God sees it. That's the only way we're going to make, be able to make good, right, and wrong decisions. I asked an atheist friend of mine one time, we were talking, I said, well, if you're atheist and you don't believe in God, how do you know right from wrong? How come you don't just go cheat on your wife? And do whatever you want. There's no right from wrong. There's nobody to say. He said, well, because I'm not a jerk. He used a curse word for jerk. He's showing his heart. And I said, well, how do you know that's a jerk? He said, because society says so. Well, we've already been over what society says is a jerk and what's not. right? And they're divorced, by the way. So a biblical worldview could have done him some good. What is a biblical worldview? It is an overarching view of the world based on God's revealed truth, the Bible, which directs our life in this world. And the Bible doesn't change. It's not a fact. It doesn't change from generation to generation. It doesn't change like the wind, like popular opinion does. It doesn't change based on your feelings. It was true thousands of years ago today, and it's true today. There are many different worldviews out there. Every culture has its own worldview. Depending on the way you were raised and brought up, you will have a different worldview. If you were born in America, if you were born in a different country, lots of different worldviews. And that kind of diversity makes us stronger as a people. But as Christians, we need to have a biblical worldview, and that's it. We need to make our decisions from right and wrong on what God's Word says, not on what our culture said when I grew up, not on what your culture said where you came from or where you grew up. Here's the problem. It doesn't happen by accident. You have to develop a worldview. You have to put on the glasses, right? It'd be a lot easier if we did have just worldview glasses. Let me put these on and make a decision here. When we base our beliefs on what God says about the world and his word, it changes the way we see everything. These are like big old Coke bottle glasses I'm talking about. It's going to change everything when you view the world through the lens of Scripture. So what do we see when we put on a worldview? With a biblical worldview, we see answers to mankind's deepest questions. What is the meaning of life? How do you answer that? Society's asking that question all the time. We know when we put on our glasses, we know we were created to have a relationship with our Father and to love other people. 
That's the meaning of life. Do we have a free will? What is the purpose of it? Is God the all-powerful and all-knowing creator of the universe? Does he still run it today? Is there life after death? Right? That's what the Bible is all about. People are still asking those questions. Is salvation a gift from God that cannot be earned, or do you have to earn it? Do you have to do good works? There's a lot of Christian churches out there that teach that you have to do good works to earn your salvation, and that is not biblical. Is Satan real? Do you really go to hell? Satan spoke with Jesus in the Bible. We know he's real. Do Christians have a responsibility to share your faith with Christ, or your faith in Christ with other people? We've been given the Great Commission. Yes, we do. We have a responsibility to. It gives us an explanation of the physical and the spiritual world. How the earth was created, how it came about, and our relationship with God. It tells us that we were created by a holy God who has, has no beginning and no end, which we can't even fathom. And it tells us we were created to love him and have a relationship with him. And then it tells us the very first human rejected him. The very first humans. We read about that last week. The very first humans rejected him and said, we, don't, we, we think we know better. We want the knowledge of good and evil. We know better. We'll make up our own. And God said he was so saddened by that, he made a way for us to reconcile with him again. If you're going to sin against me, I'm going to make a way for to take away the sin onto myself and his son Jesus. And that's the relationship between God and man, and that's what we read in God's word. What an amazing story. It gives us a basis for morality. It tells us that our actions have consequences, both now and eternal consequences. The wages of sin is death, right? Eternal consequences and temporary consequences. And God can save us from both. It's amazing. And it gives us a basis for making decisions, for telling right and wrong. The Bible provides us this information. The antidote to moral relativism is written by the hand of God in the Ten Commandments. By the hand of God. I am the Lord thy God that shall not have other gods before me. First one, most important, I am your God. Trust me. You shall not make any graven images or any likeness above that's on earth. Don't bow down to anybody else. Let me be the most important thing in your life. You shall not take the Lord God, the name of the Lord your God in vain. Respect me. Remember the Sabbath day? Hey, rest. Command from God, rest. Take time to stay in his word. This is so important today. Honor your father and your mother. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. And don't covet. These 10 sentences can be applied to every decision we make, every single one. How did God know to address every decision we're going to make in our life in 10 commandments? It's pretty amazing, right? So easy you can memorize it. All right, so don't miss this. In a truth is relative world, a biblical worldview is going to be hard. It's controversial. 
You guys know that. You start going professing God's truth to our society, they're going to what are they? they're going to condemn you. They're going to look at you funny. They're not going to be your friend. They're going to think you're crazy. They're going to dox you. Right? People won't like you. It's not politically correct. Jesus talked about this in the Great Commission. Matthew 10, 34 to 36. Do not suppose that I have come into the world to bring peace to the world. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. He already told us it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. In fact, I love this meme. Is this a meme? Truth is like surgery. It hurts, but it heals. A lie is like a painkiller. It gives an instant relief, but it has side effects forever. Right? That's truth. A lie is a temporary painkiller, but it can last forever. Not only that, you have to lie more to cover up your first lie, right? And it builds more and more. So God's truth, as hard as it is to say and believe, it's healing. Even as Christians, though, we are tempted by relativism. Even in the church, there's so many churches out there, the draw of relativism is so strong because it makes religion easier. It makes it a lot easier to be a Christian if you want to compromise the principles in God's Word. If you say, I believe what Jesus did for me, I believe that He saved me, but for you, I just can't believe that God would send you to hell because you don't believe the same way I do, because you don't believe in Jesus. A lot of Christians say that. That's not biblical. They just made up their own religion. That's putting another God before our God. That's the first commandment. You made up your own God. So the first step to getting a biblical worldview is to get biblical knowledge. What does God's Word say? And then when rightly applied, that's biblical wisdom. All right, so let's test our biblical knowledge real quick. Fill in the blank. Money is the root of all evil. Actually, what it actually says is the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Right? Oh, yeah. That's right. That's what it does say. The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. How about another one? God helps those who help themselves as found in the book of Proverbs. True or false? Mm. Who says true? Let's take a survey. One. That's it? One? You're all by yourself. Who says false? Only two, three, four of you. Who doesn't know? <laughs> all right. The truth is, nope, not found in the Bible at all. 
We say it all the time. We act like we're quoting scripture, don't we? God helps those who help themselves. Or God works in mysterious ways. Nope, not in the Bible. He may. It's mysterious to us. Taken out of context a lot. There's all kinds of verses like that taken out of context or, or not even in, in the Bible. All right. So how do we apply this? We apply this by consistently seeking the teachings of Jesus Christ, by consistently exposing ourselves to God's Word, by reading it, by participating in studies like the study we have on Wednesday night, 1 Corinthians. There's truth in there, and you will see it. Number two, seek the companionship and knowledge of others who are also seeking the truth. Who are you hanging out with? Are they seeking truth in their life? Are they making it up as they go? with relativism. It's all relative. So a big question, are you consistently seeking God's eternal, unchanging truth in your life? Or are you flying by the seat of your pants? It's a good question, right? We all got to ask ourselves that. Are you seeking the truth and how does it, or does it impact your life? Does it impact the way you live and your daily life? Is God's truth impacting your life? Who is speaking truth into your life? Do you have Christian friends that are given relationship advice? Like they just read it out of Cosmo magazine? Or are they giving you relationship advice from God's word? John 8. To the Jews who believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But they said, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves. So why do you say that we need to be free? Jesus said, the truth is, everyone who sins is a slave, a slave to sin. A slave doesn't stay with a family forever, but a son belongs to the family forever. If the son sets you free, then you are really free. Guys, as Christians, we're part of God's family, and we are set free indeed. So here's how you come to know the truth. You get to know Jesus. This man, Jesus Christ, that walked the earth 2,000 years ago, claimed to be God. Was he God? Was he God to you? Can you trust his absolute truth? Listen, he was either a liar, he was crazy, or he was truthful. Which is it? You've got to decide in your own heart. We all do. He wasn't just the truth. He wasn't a truth. He wasn't a fact. He was the truth, the whole truth. He is the embodiment of all eternal and transcendent truth. The truth that surpasses all facts, all knowledge, and all wisdom. This is very interesting. The son of the, he is the son of the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in him all things were created, all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn among all the dead, so that every, in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him... 
to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven or things making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Folks, he is the root reality behind all things. He is the source of all things. That's what it means to be the truth. In him, nothing is false. Nothing is misleading. Nothing is fake. And nothing is uncertain. You can trust Jesus with everything in your life. He is the truth and he told the truth. When he said, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. that Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Wow. That's an absolute truth. Unchanging. Doesn't change like a fact. It doesn't change with, with politics. It doesn't change with cultures. It, it's transcendent across the entire universe. If you believe in him, you will have everlasting life. He said that the truth is... Everyone who sins is a slave, a slave to sin, and he's come to set us free. Why? Because he loves us. It's all out of love. He didn't have to. He could have left us. We could still be sacrificing animals to no avail, to no eventual avail. He did it out of love. Not just love for his whole people, not just love for the earth, but love for you. Love for me. That really gets me. If you were the only person on earth, he still would have done it. If it was just you, he still would have done it. Right? That's amazing. It's personal. He loves you with a divine love farther than we can even comprehend. That's amazing. I I thought I could never love anybody as much as I loved my first child when he was born. When Chris was born... It's like you're holding something. You never thought you would have such strong feelings for your child. And you guys know what I'm talking about, right? And then your second child, and then your third child. And you didn't think you could love somebody so much. And God's love for us, that doesn't even, our, the love we felt doesn't even pale in comparison to the love God has for us. And when we get to heaven, we'll get to experience it and feel that. It's going to be amazing. So this divine love sets us free from the eternal consequences, but it can also set you free from the temporal consequences of sin. Addictions, toxic relationships, toxic friendships, any kind of harmful situation, God's love can set us free from those by calling upon his name. Some of us, have been in chains of sin so long we're getting comfortable. I'll close with this. It's a poem by a teacher. It's called Do Better Now, My Child. He came to my desk with a quivering lip. The lesson was done. Have you a new sheet for me, dear teacher? I've spoiled this one. I took his sheet, all soiled and blotted, and I gave him a new one unspotted and to his tired heart I cried do better now my child I went to the throne with a troubled heart the day was done have you a new day for me dear master I've spoiled this one he took my day all soiled and blotted and he gave me a new one 
all unspotted. And to my tired heart he cried, do better now, my child. Lamentation says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It is absolute truth. It never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The truth is, church, our God is a God of second chances and a God of third chances and a God of fourth chances and a God of fifth chances into infinity. He only asks that we, his children, turn to him, repent of our sin, and call upon his name. Do you need a new sheet today? A blank one? You can have it. His mercy is new every day. Heavenly Father God, thank you for the truth in your word. The truth of the relationship that you desire to have with us. God, thank you for sending your son, the embodiment of yourself, to this earth to be the sacrifice so that we don't have to pay the consequences of the decisions we make. God, guide our hearts as we go forward. Remind us of your absolute truth and your word. Remind us to call upon your name as we make these decisions in life, deciding right from wrong. 